I used to think that salvation or being saved was a way that we left our present reality and guaranteed something later. But I've been learning like this is not so much about ejection from present, but about wholeness here. And I don't know if there's a way to experience wholeness without being in our bodies. I don't know if there's a way to experience wholeness without also being here and learning here with all of it, the suffering, the pain, the illness, that's part of being here, not something that needs to be fixed or solved, but is actually part of God expressing God's self in all of these different iterations of what it means to be human. So that wholeness looks more complete than just one narrow definition of a body or one narrow definition of the story. Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast with me, Jonathan Puddle. This is episode 124. My guest today is Hillary McBride, PhD. I've been longing to speak with Hillary for a very long time, so it was thrilling to have her on the show this week. You may know Hillary uh, as an author, psychologist, speaker, researcher. She is the host of Other People's Problems podcast. She was a contributor for quite some time to the Liturgists podcast, which is how I first heard about her. She is a fellow Canadian, and it was a real delight to get to talk with her all about her brand new book, The Wisdom of Your Body. We sort of begin the conversation right away because I was about to count us down and then I said, actually, you know, I'm having a hard time formulating my questions because I feel so present in my body and not stuck in my head. And she said, great, let's go with that. And so that's that's where we begin. Details at the end on how to find her book and, of course, the show notes for the text transcription and links to purchase at jonathanpuddle.com. All right, here we go. Hillary McBride on the podcast. I'm just, I, I just, I feel really in my body, uh, okay. partly just because I've been enjoying just sitting here reading and I was just like, I hope this is a good interview because I just feel really happy and present right now. <laughs> That's I, right. I'm not up here. I'm, I'm very much in here right now. Right. Okay. Well, why don't we just jump in with that point though, which is that when we like, there's something about embodiment that disrupts their way of being in yes. the world because it, and when it's reorienting, reorienting us back to something that is in a way more human, more connected, more present, but it is meant to be a shift from the way that we leave our bodies, move up into the cognitive div- domain and live there in a way of kind of, um, yet disembodying ourselves to participate in the structures that make our capitalist system go around that make our kind of hyper productivity, enhanced, right? There is something that actually in a way is kind of a rebellion to be in our bodies. And it, Mm. it is meant to be, I think a little uncomfortable because it is an upset of what we're used to. So even you saying like, well, I hope this is a good interview reminds me of like, when I am more connected to my body, there are times when I am more productive, but there are also times when I'm less productive or my way of interacting shifts because I am tuning in and it requires us to slow down, requires us to rest, requires us to pay attention to our feelings. And sometimes that means that we're not just machines powering through anymore. Yes. Okay. So exactly how many areas of modern Western life are actually contrary to human thriving? That's a great question. I mean, if I was in a different field of study, I could give you a more accurate number or, you know, analysis, but I think that a lot of them, right? Like there are these, we see these reemergences of embodiment coming back into our culture through, through like borrowing or appropriating, depending on who you're talking to and what was really going on things from other cultures. Like we look at yoga or we look at the way that, you know, sometimes there's, there's dance that happens in, in celebration or dance classes. It's funny that we even have to kind of like structure it in that way. We have to, you know, get a babysitter and we have to leave our house and we have to pay $45 and we go take a class to learn how to be in our bodies. But it is, yeah, I would say to your point, a foundation of Western colonial societies to be disembodied. It is 
actually quite outside of the norm for us to stay connected to ourselves in Western context, in white context, you know, in our adult selves. Yeah. 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 So this book for me, just personally Mm -hmm. is just coming at a wonderful time. I Mm. have um, been on the journey the last couple of years. Like I did a big kind of a faith thing, like 15 years ago, like, you know, before it was cool. And then, um, (laughs) and then in like the last handful of years went on a major kind of emotional and trauma awareness and self-compassionate kind of, kind of journey. And, uh, and, and like, I realized, like, I read this book, a uh, similar title to yours, but the wisdom of your heart, uh, mm. all about the God-given purpose of emotions. And, and I was like, this is like a, this is like a, a field guide or like a manual for all these feelings. And no one ever told me what they were. And it was so life-giving as a man with very big emotions who grew up in a hyper-masculine sports-obsessed mm culture in New Zealand in like the 80s and 90s, I did not fit into the picture of what a man was meant to be. And through my own uh, journey with my therapist who, you know, like God set me up with this amazing South African man who was like, oh, I understand. I get your cultural touch points, you know, but there's something about moving now into my body, which I feel like I've been exploring for the last couple of years through breath work. But what you've got here in the wisdom of your body is like, it feels like at the crudest level to just slap a label on it is to be like, this is like a manual, an operator's manual for your entire human body. Oh, wow. Including all these broader areas of self. Mm. Um, And I'm, I'm, I have to read it again for me rather than Mm. for an interview. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm, um, there's, oh man, like there's so many ways that my brain is firing off wanting wow. to ask you about, but I wonder maybe you could just tell us a bit about your story, how this came to be. Um, mm-hmm. What are some of the problems that, that Hillary McBride cannot leave the world unchanged? Oh. <laughs> I haven't heard it quite put like that. That's interesting. I'll have to reflect on that. What I, what I can't keep my hands out of because I'm so uh, compelled by or frustrated by, yeah, I'll do some reflecting. Like in coaching, I say, what, what, what can you not tolerate? Being yes, yes, that's right. Which is a really good insight into where you're. Right, of course, you know this. You're, where your passions are, where your skill is, right, where you have a refined sense of, um, yeah, how things could be made better. And interestingly, I would argue that that is connected to some sort of bodily knowing, like maybe one way to embody that question or make that body that make that question a bodily one is to say, and what is it inside that lets you know that you can't handle it? What's, what's Mm -hmm. the feeling like? What, what are the parameters on that sensation that tell you this is not okay? I want more than this. Um, okay. So I'll come back to your question because I've taken a, taken a little detour there. Uh, my body has been a complicated place to be, for, I would say probably, t- uh, the last 20 years for different reasons. Um, early in my adolescence, I developed an eating disorder, which seems at first blush to be about the body, but is actually more about leaving the body or controlling the body, or in a way trying to subdue the body, which, um, reminds us of our humanness reminds us of our connection to everything and allows us to feel pain in a world that sometimes doesn't know how to skillfully support us to feel pain. So we can be overwhelmed by it. And in recovery from eating disorder, from the eating disorder encountered a therapist after many therapists who had not done this. And I felt that had, um, actually encouraged me to further disconnect from my body by employing mostly cognitive based interventions for the, for treatment, I found a therapist who invited me to experience my body as a place that was good Mm -hmm. and encounter my body as a source of wisdom and my body being a kind of truth teller and my desire to subdue or shut down. My body was not because my body was telling me lies or was too much, but was actually telling the truth in a world that didn't know how to handle or didn't know how to support us through what those truths were. Mm. truths about trauma, truths about emotion, truths around sensitivity to, uh, cultural and interpersonal dynamics, which have gone, um, 
you know, endorsed by hegemonic masculinity, patriarchy, misogyny for too long. So had this experience of encountering my body is good and having someone, and this is important, someone with power, someone in a medical system, someone who was trained, hand the insight back to me, hand permission to trust myself back to me. Mm. And then of course I did the thing that people who are disembodied do. I decided to research it <laughs> and try to understand it intellectually. Like what's happening in the, with what just happened here in my healing, what's going on. And, and got really interested in the research around body image and eating disorder prevention. And lo and behold, it turns out that just having a better body image isn't enough to give us a good experience of being a body. That body image is a place where some of us encounter our struggle with our bodies. But when we think about what body image is, it is primarily an image orientation towards the body, which is not the totality of what it means to be a human, right? We are not just images. We are not just appearances that we can evaluate positively or negatively. So of course, what that led me to was this piece of research around how being a body, how experiencing yourself as a body and having good experiences of yourself as a body, liberated, free, kind of unhindered, connected, present, attuned experiences of the body could inoculate us against a world that has us thinking of ourself as just an image. Mm -hmm. So as a result, I started looking more into embodiment and then how it really feels like everything kind of, um, was birthed out of that place of seeing that the being of a body is so central to being human. And yet, why is it something that I have to learn about in a book? Why is it something that I have to experience intellectually to get first? And when, when you unpack it from there, you can really see that well, not everybody has to learn it from a book. There are certain people in certain places and certain cultures with certain identities that don't have to learn it through a book because it was retained for them. But learning about it in a book tells me something about the context that I've grown up in and the way that I've learned to be good, which is be up in your head, experience things intellectually first. And again, as an academic and having a PhD, this has like been a way that I have both accrued social value and protected myself when my body has been, you know, felt unsafe, but go into the mind, become a master of the mind. Right. And then no matter what happens in your human experience, you can eject out you can think about it and you can survive. Mm. So in deconstructing the ways that I have been disembodied, I saw how they were all around us and wanted to, I mean, thank you for describing it as a manual. That's, that feels like, um, actually quite an endorsement, but it, it reminded me or taught me all of the ways to see all of the ways that we have learned to leave our bodies, but also how those specific places tell us something about culture and tell us something about how to come back to ourselves. Mm -hmm. The site of the injury is not necessarily proof that we as humans are broken in that way but perhaps that there, our bodies are responding to systems that don't work for us anymore. And that the place of injury tells us something about where the healing needs to be. Wow. Come on. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. That's so good. Again, again, my brain is like firing all these different directions. My father was a dancer, is a dancer and okay. a uh, playwright and theater director and actor Ooh. and travel agent. Uh, because you okay, all the things. <laughs> yeah, I, I just bumped into him kind of randomly last, literally last week in London, England. It was a whole what? situation, and I forgot you he was bumped there. into your dad. Into my dad in London. <laughs> I, I, I screwed so up my weird. flight. Uh, I didn't. I got denied boarding my return ticket to Canada, and he bought me a new. It was a whole thing. Oh, dad came through. He did. He totally did. Okay. And so my dad was this expressive. Is this expressive embodied? Guy. Yeah. And my mother uh, was uh, w- was also in the performing arts, and we grew up missionary YWAM kids uh, traveling the world doing evangelistic work in this really embodied way. And then I joined the charismatic church and was full of expression and dance and you know 
people waving yes. flags. Like, I mean, I was in the crazy church where people would be turning up in bridal gowns because we're really excited about being the bride of Christ. So okay. like you want weird, expressive church. That's where I grew up. Uh-huh. But also uh, watch out for the flesh because yes. the flesh is this problem. And it never occurred to us, I guess, that the flesh was not, Paul is not talking about the atoms that make up our body. Right. What you just said at the end of that section about these systems mm. that oppress us. I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh, oh, that is that what Paul was talking about all along? Mm. Systems within that are problematic. An egotistical framework of self. Mm that does bear bad fruit, mm-hmm. but maybe it was never our bodies. Right. <laughs> and, and I know you understand this, but I honestly, I, I read your words and I love it. And I'm like, yes, yes. And there's parts of my body that know it to be true. Mm. And there are parts that don't. When, when you said like, you are your body. Yes. <laughs> Chapter one. Right. right I'm reading it. And I'm like, yep. And nope, <laughs> I, yeah. I could feel parts of my body relax with permission mm-hmm. and I could feel parts of my body go, that's an awfully reductionistic kind of statement. Mm-hmm. Surely there's more to be said than that. And this tension mm-hmm. that's built right. up inside me. Uh, and, and so I'm, okay, I'm thinking about it. I'm like making my little notes that I'm going to talk to Hillary about. And, and I'm like, Surely I'm not only my body. Surely my thoughts are a important part of who I am. I, I don't feel like my body reflects the fullness of who I know myself to be. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, maybe I am back in the realm of shame. Hmm. As soon as I vocalize that thought. <laughs> yeah, that's what's connected. Like shame is a part of that. I remember watching a guy who's like 10 years older than me sit on a couch, like cross-legged as a 30-year-old man and mm. thinking, holy crap, men are allowed to sit on couches uh, like that. <laughs> yeah. And I was inspired as a 20-year-old uh-huh. to be given that permission. And so uh, I feel like I'm just so drawn to this. There's so many layers mm. of body-related stuff and and church and expression yeah. and it's complex it's like super it complex. is oh my gosh and i know i haven't vocalized a question in there <laughs> no but can i just respond like, i'm hearing a number of things in what you're saying that feels so important to be really explicit about like one although people who are male identified and very masculine presenting in western contexts are often attributed with more or given more social power, there is a very oppressive narrative around how masculinity needs to show up, which, which is, um, oppressive to the souls of men too. Right. And there's something about the way that the body, the gender body stories that go along with masculinity have been, have flown under the radar for so long it seems that that will be a really important final frontier of doing justice work. If when we can allow men and white men to encounter the ways that they have also lost something because of the way power has been distributed. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean this to diminish any other kind of marginalization in any stretch of the imagination. I think that all of the, like, I think that it's really important to acknowledge that power in how it's distributed has created really harmful, horrific, in some cases, murderous experiences for some people. And until we see that one of the things that's holding it all together is the rigid narratives of masculinity that prevent people at the very top of the power chain from examining themselves and prevent them from connecting to the places inside of them that do empathy, which have been eschewed away as these traditional kind of feminine characteristics or um, like soft skills. 
until we're able to do that, I don't think we're going to have huge cultural change towards, you know, actual justice and equanimity. Yeah. That not equanimity, equality, um, you know, experiences of, of shared human connection. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That comes to mind. Another thing that comes to mind is the way that we live in these paradoxes of how there are experiences that we know of being in our bodies that are good. Like for some people it's sex or for some people it's dance, or for some people it was movement in church that are also married with these places of of disembodiment, right? So performing sex in a way that feels robotic, where the sexual script is something that we've seen on TV or in some form of media, or we've been told is a way to perform desirable sexual activity. And it feels good, but we're also not really in it or in church, right? Like be, be in movement. This is a superior way to demonstrate worship. This is the way to show you are fully abandoned. (laughs) in the spirit, in the presence of God, but also your body's bad, right? Like (laughs) these paradoxes exist in our cultures. And it's so important to acknowledge that that is, that's complicated and it makes it tricky. And sometimes like, we don't really know what to do with that, but we do get tastes of our body being permitted to exist, (laughs) to be experienced. And, and sometimes those are not powerful enough to make up for the fact that we have these other narratives that are going around that say, but don't be in your body. Don't be connected to yourself, but Mm. those exist at the same time. And it's, it's hard to know what to do with all of those sometimes. Tastes. You just said something about tastes of allowing like our body or parts of our body to exist. That Mm -hmm. is like, I've got like this visceral picture. Uh, It's rather sexually explicit, but it's like, I, I was thinking about, when my wife and I got married, we were both virgins, Christian, good Christian people. Mm-hmm. And so we read the books, right? That's what mm. we're supposed to do. And I remember talking to my buddy from high school and he's like, what is wrong with you? You're reading a book about sex. Like, this is like, this is not a brain thing, bro. This is like a body thing. And I remember being like, <laughs> this is the next best thing because it's what us Christians do. We divorce right. ourselves from our bodies. But even in the pages of this book, they're like, so your clitoris is allowed to exist under these circumstances. Oh, wow. And your penis is allowed, this part of your penis is allowed to exist with the following guidelines and rules Mm. in place. And it's sort of like cherry picking, no pun intended, these parts of the body that are permitted Mm. to exist under the right criteria for the right reasons in the right frame. Uh, but we're again, we're only allowed to really give mental assent to that. We can't live there mm-hmm. in our body. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though I find myself teaching people all the time, you know, Jesus had a body. Right. Jesus had a body that's really good. And then, and then you're provoking me with your language, saying, uh-huh. "Do we talk about our bodies like something that we possess, like you have uh-huh. a body?" And I'm like, "Oh, bloody!" Hillary. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Because, but this is like, this is a really important piece of introduction to, to re-experiencing ourselves as a body to go, oh, oh, the body exists. It is, it is mine. It belongs to me. I'm going to possess it as an object. And somehow that is still even better than forgetting it exists altogether. Because when we have an object, then we can borrow language like care. We can care for things. We can, we can care for, um, for objects that are in our domain that we are responsible for. We can direct our attention towards a something because a something exists and still that neglects the subjectivity of our body. But I, like, I really, I want to acknowledge that for many people who are wildly disembodied, who have forgotten that their body exists, who experience themselves primarily as a floating head that walks around the world, simply having an, having a thing that carries that floating head around is a really good reintroduction Mm -hmm. to being a self. So if that's where you are at, what a great place to be. If that is something that you are new to. And how does it impact us to encounter ourselves 
as a body to experience the world from the place of the subjectivity of the body, where our mind is not this thing that exists in some sort of like astral projection elsewhere, but, but our mind is embodied. Our cognition is embodied. Our, our, the seat of the self moves into all of the territory from head to toe. What would that offer us? Mm. Yes. Let's, I just pose it like that as a question because perhaps it's a little less inflammatory that way. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we, We touched on this at the beginning. There's so many parts of our kind of normative Western life that are opposed to embodiment right i mean Mm -hmm. we sit in these office chairs we we sit in you talked about sitting in long meetings you know like the 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 normal work office life i quit my normal work office life job two years ago partly because i could feel my it was what i was having to do to do my nine to five was becoming increasingly incongruent with the rest of my journey as as a soul as right. a, as a body Ooh. the body was sort of like this last piece of the puzzle being like yeah but you're you're still contorting me mm. um i had the privilege and freedom to quit my job and find a new way of being um that's a that's a freedom that obviously most people are not going to have uh, so if someone's listening to this and like, okay, super practically, how do I stop hating my body? But I also work three jobs to care for my kids or my aging mm-hmm. parents. Um, can you give us a, just kind of like a mile high and even a practical, mm-hmm. a few ways to just, okay, let's start caring for this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is us. Mm-hmm while also still having to live a hard life. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Well, maybe I'll ask the question, like, what is it that is allowing us to work the three jobs and care for the aging parents? Like, is that some sort of like, um, meaning system? Maybe, but when the meaning system fails, (laughs) what is actually getting us up to those jobs every single day, caring for those people it's the body. So we don't necessarily have to be completely, I would say, you know, air quotes here, liberated in our embodiment where we are unencumbered and there is no social structure that we, you know, have to find ourselves within because we have the finances and the intellectual freedom and the ability physically to do whatever we want with our bodies like that. That's not necessarily the end goal here. Maybe attunement is, Mm. and maybe gratitude is. So saying, wow, no wonder I'm tired all the time. Look at all of the things that I am doing. No wonder. So, wow, I need to, I am really seeing up front the way that our systems don't support moms, or I'm seeing the way that people in this kind of sandwich generation who are working and taking care of parents and kids are experiencing this. Wow. I get a new slice of understanding of what it means to be human because I'm here and I'm so tired. And how will that allow me to connect with other people, to empathize better? Or is it possible for me as I'm driving between those three jobs to experience a kind of deep exhale as I'm in my car that allows me to feel for just a moment what it's like to tune in to space and quiet and silence, even even as I'm on my commute? Like I, I don't think I don't think that until our social structures change enough for all of us to live in sustainable ways that maybe I'll say that differently. There is a problem with our social structures, not our bodies. Mm. And when our bodies are moving between all of these demands and are nourishing so many people and sustaining us, Maybe the very best that we can do in this moment is to tune in and be grateful and pay attention and notice not just the things that feel difficult or hard or draining, but also the things that feel pleasurable that allow us to feel sustained. So maybe we are more mindful of what our food tastes like because it feels really good to nourish ourselves in the midst of all of those stretching experiences and demanding requirements of our existence. Or maybe you know, as we're making dinner for our family, we put music on where we're dancing because it creates just a little bit more joy and we feel that joy in a bodily way. We'll take a quick pause so I can tell you two important announcements. One, 
big love and thanks to all of my Patreon supporters. You are all seriously the best. I love being able to dialogue and go deeper on all of these wonderful topics that we have on the show. Thank you for your support. I hope you're enjoying the B-sides. And uh, drop me a line. Also, second announcement. As a way of saying thank you, Merry Christmas, I've dropped the price of my devotional You Are Enough, Learning to Love Yourself the Way God Loves You, to 99 cents on Kindle. So go and grab it right now. It'll be 99 cents just for uh, about two weeks because I'm going to take a Christmas break on the podcast and it will be back to normal price by the time I take that break. So head to jonathanpottle.com as soon as you finish listening to Hillary and go grab a copy of her book and then go grab a copy of my book on Kindle for 99 cents. You are enough learning to love yourself the way God loves you. Back to the wonderful Hillary McBride. Like I, I had someone ask me this recently, like, what do I do in social systems or in relational contexts, which in which my being embodied is something I am punished or excluded for. Mm. And that makes it really tricky for us because as people, and I write about this in the book, we are wired for connection. Our bodies are wired to be in relationship in a way that actually fosters our development. So sometimes that puts us in a squeeze where we have to choose between autonomy and agency and relational connectedness. And that's an awful feeling, but what we don't have to give up is attunement to ourselves. So even if we're in a relational setting, a work setting, a a systemic setting where we cannot have full bodily agency, like we want to, we don't have to shut off connection to ourselves. And maybe what that means is we say to our bodily selves, I know this is really hard. I know, but I'm listening and I can feel all of the information that you're sending about how hard this is. And I am not ignoring it. Mm. I'm not ignoring it. So even though we can't do something different right now, I am listening. And for anybody who is a parent, you know what that language sounds like. I say this to my daughter all the time, and I've been like really thinking about how attachment and understanding attachment relationships gives us skills around embodiment. So there's probably going to be some work that I come out with in the near future about that. But I say to my daughter when she's in the car seat and she hates it and she's crying and we're in the middle of traffic or we're on a highway and I can't, you know, can't get her out of the car seat. I am so glad you're telling me Mm. you can always tell me what doesn't work for you. And I'm absolutely going to do my very best to support you in these experiences. You don't have to stop giving me information about what you don't like just because I can't change it. Mm. Wow. And that is how I want us to be able to talk to our bodies. Like, okay, here we are. There's all this sensation that's saying that this doesn't feel good. But instead of cutting myself off from myself, I'm going to be with that information and I'm going to grieve the things that need to be grieved until the systems change, until I can get a break, until there's somebody else who can grieve for me, until whatever the intel is. But what we don't have to do is disconnect from ourselves. Mm. Yes. Oh, I can feel that here in my chest. Mm-hmm. My theory, my theory is that Jesus in the Garden of, of Gethsemane does the most present embodied thing a human has ever done. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the birth of a new humanity for all of us. That's the mm-hmm. I will be online through the most horrific, painful rejection trauma, and I will be mm-hmm. in my body and I will be feeling it, and I will not disassociate. Mm-hmm. Um and 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 in doing so, I will alchemize all of this pain and evil and suffering into something wow. new and beautiful wow. and invite you all to this kind of life. Mm. That's I'm so glad that you gave me that that image because I when I think about Jesus and his humanity and the, his being embodied, I think about his dying as one of the greatest right greatest gifts to us. Right. Right. The, the, somehow the narrative, like, it's okay. It's okay to die. It's okay for things to end. The suffering doesn't have to continue forever that, and not, I'm not talking about the resurrection. I'm actually talking about his, his human body dying, but you just gave me, yeah, that's such an important piece of insight there. It's about everything that happened up to that. 
and mm-hmm. staying present to it. That, f- that fits in line. I, f- I would say more with my work, like being attuned, being present, feeling the aches, the loss, the suffering that reminds us that we can too, that no matter play, no matter what place of pain we experience in our life, we get to say, we don't have to be alone in it. It has been felt before. So thank you for that. Some of that comes from Ondi Culber. We we talked about this on the mm. show and she said, you know, he probably had access to resources, attachment resources that we don't always have access to. We could theorize <laughs> this. So good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but it's not even like that we don't categorically have access to those resources. Yeah. And think that's obviously the reality of life is that we're not always connected to the to the resources that are actually there. Mm-hmm. Okay, hard left turn. Okay. Church on Sunday. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a leader at church and I and I can't remember. Am I hugging people? Am I not hugging mm. people? Am I pretending that I'm not hugging people? Because I'm meant to to enforce some idea of social distancing. Oh, right. And but but the person standing in front of me is my best friend, and I've just come back from a trip and I haven't seen her, and I don't remember what I'm supposed to do, and so I'm gonna mm. do nothing. And then I get in the car and I feel stupid all over mm. my body. Like I whatever I just did was not the right thing. And I walk down the sidewalk and I see another human being, and my body's now trained reaction is to give them sidewalk space and to be like, am I going to move out of the way first? Or are they going to be moving out of the way first? Yes. And I feel like COVID has done this crazy double-edged sword where on the one hand, it's given us all this awareness and language that like hard things affect us and Mm -hmm. we are not okay. And we need room for that. I feel like that hopefully is the great gift of COVID that it's shifted our awareness and our understanding of what we can tolerate. However, I feel like it's messed with our, our, certainly our communal embodiment massively. Um, I mean, and, and I have family and wife and kids, so it's messed with it for me less than for countless others who, who are physically isolated and lockdowns and all of that. Um, do you have some some thoughts on how we sort of, I guess, reintegrate those of us who, who live in spaces where that's even happening in a mm-hmm. context? Oh my gosh, yes. So, okay, what for those of you who are listening and can't see, I'm putting my hands on my body right now. I'm touching myself as a way to offer some self-support. And what's so important about this is that touch really matters for regulating our nervous system which is part of why it has been so hard in COVID for, especially for people who are living in isolation because we're not getting that touch. But the research shows us that when we touch our own body, we also get an oxytocin release similar to when someone else touches us. So touch and touching ourselves actually can be one of the ways that we soothe ourselves. Now, applying that in action to answer your question might look like as we're navigating these new kind of reintegrations into what life looks like and experiencing proximity, I actually mean physical proximity to people in a way that we haven't, it would be normal for us to have a, an activation response in our body because our body is saying, you've learned that that is dangerous. So you're meant to have alarm bells that come up in a physiological way to signal you're about to do something that's really dangerous. Are you sure you want to do that? Mm -hmm. But it is our job. And this is when we, when we experience ourselves as bodies and we know what's going on and we also have our attention circuitry online and we have skills like this, what we can say to ourselves in response to that by putting our hands on our body and regulating ourselves that way is of course, this feels scary and uncertain. It's new even though it's not new in the whole history of your life, it's new in the recent past. And wow, we are so good at adapting that we have learned that something that used to feel okay is not okay anymore. So, wow. Okay. I am feeling nervous and I know because of the context I'm in, this person is safe and I'm going to be okay. And it's okay that I feel all weird inside about it. So Mm -hmm. when we are using our insight about how the body works, when we are using touch to regulate ourselves, when we are using our mindful awareness to understand like what choice is the right choice to make, 
all of those things together allow us to move forward in a way that readjusts to what this kind of new normal looks like. It allows us to adapt again, right? We adapted to this reality and we can adapt to another reality, but we often have to do that consciously when we are coming out of a fear response state, because our body is much better at adapting and learning quickly about things that are dangerous than our bodies are about learning what is now safe. It takes longer to learn that something that was previously dangerous is now safe than it does to learn that something that was safe is now dangerous. So doing things that we only do when we are at rest and safe and cared for, like touch and kind dialogue and reassurance and mindful awareness and putting together the pieces and being thoughtful about the way that we move forward. Those things help our body readapt, but we have to be like gracious to ourselves and gentle and patient because it will take a long time. And that doesn't mean that we're doing something wrong or that we did something bad before. It's just how our bodies are wired to keep us safe. Yes. Yes. So good. So good. Thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. I'm going to have to talk to the publicist because I would love to do a part two because I have so many more things I'd love to yes. talk with you. But uh, we're we're pressed for time. Any other thoughts that you'd leave with us? Mm. And uh, seriously, I want everybody to go and read this book, which is already a bestseller status on at least like two lists in Canada alone. Yeah, and America in time, if not already. Thank you. <laughs> seriously, the wisdom of your body, finding healing, wholeness, and connection through embodied living. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts you'd leave with us, and would you pray for us? Oh yes, to both. Um, I used to think that salvation or being saved was a way that we left our present reality and guaranteed something later, (laughs) but, but I've been learning, like, this is so interesting to think about how words and understanding the words of the actual biblical texts can help us reorient ourselves away from a, a problematic cultural understanding of something to what was actually intended. So learning through study of the word salvation, that this is not so much about ejection from present, but about wholeness here. And I don't know if there's a way to experience wholeness without being in our bodies. I don't know if there's a way to experience wholeness without also being here and learning here with all of it, the suffering, the pain, the illness, that that is part of it. That's part of being here, not something that needs to be fixed or solved, but is actually part of God expressing God's self in all of these different iterations of what it means to be human so that wholeness looks more complete than just one narrow definition of a body or one narrow definition of a story. So I want to leave us with that thought that, that salvation doesn't have to be about leaving your body, but could actually be something that we experience more fully through our bodies or because of our bodies. Yes. Uh, and I will pray. And the way that I want to pray is I want to invite us to breathe together. And so as we breathe, I invite you to imagine an experience, the breath of God filling your lungs. And as you exhale, your body's natural way of releasing what doesn't work for you anymore, what doesn't serve you, what becomes toxic toxic if you hold on to it too long. I invite you to exhale. And as the breath of God moves out of you, taking with it things that don't work for you anymore, kind of releasing. So we'll just do a few more rounds of breath, experiencing ourselves filled and consenting to a letting go and releasing as we exhale. And then when you're ready, we'll come back to our shared space. Amen. Amen. Ooh, so rich. 
can't wait to have Hillary back on the show. She's a busy person, so it might be a while, but uh, I think that's going to happen for sure. So make sure you go and grab a copy of her book, The Wisdom of Your Body, Finding Healing, Wholeness, and Connection Through Embodied Living. And I, I'm serious, it's like an instruction manual, a user's manual for your body and yourself. And it is really quite remarkable. I anticipate it will rapidly become a go-to uh, book for anybody wanting to live this kind of whole life. It's going to be right up there in my top recommendations. So go grab that. Go listen. Uh, go read the transcript if you prefer text or if you have a friend who does. Let them know that this is available in text. Friends, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Much love and grace. Have a wonderful day.